Hey, welcome to our weekly sermon podcast. Remember to find out more about who we are. You can visit communitycovenant.church. Now let's continue on with week five of our series, Hide and Seek. Let me give you a quick definition about what judgment and mercy really are. Judgment is the way to control others in ways that help you feel secure. Mercy is the way to release others in ways that help you feel connected. Um, we all have bias in, built into our systems as, as humans. This is how our brain works. The limbic system stores up within itself all of these standard ways by which we can look out in the world and feel like we're safe. Okay, your brain is designed for that. And so you pull in all of these, all of these little pieces of information based off your childhood, based off of your schooling, based off of your experiences in life, and your brain is saying, here are all the things that you need to look out for in order to keep you safe, and you begin to build uh, standards in your, literally in your psyche, like, like your, your, your body is operating based off these standards, and so when you have a new piece of information come in, you're asking yourself two questions. Is this gonna make me happier, or is this gonna make me sadder? And I don't know if sadder is a word, but I'll let you guys figure that out. And so you're experiencing all of these one of two ways, and you're moving one way or the other, and you constantly build on things that make you happy. That's how your brain is designed. And so your judgments are based off this. And so when you move into a new space and it's saying, this feels funny, it's actually, you're pulling on years and years and years of experience that your, that your DNA is literally saying to you, hey, be careful here. This doesn't look like what you've always known. And so we begin to judge other people in places. It's not always a, like this nasty sort of thing. It's sometimes it's just a safety thing. But judgments, when we allow them to become our standard way of interacting with the world, is not a relational uh, is not a relational way to continue moving forward. It's actually just a way to keep you separate from everybody, right? So it helps you feel safe, and it helps others kind of stay a distance away. Mercy, the Bible is going to teach us, is a way to release others and release other people so that you can actually engage in conversation. It's a way to like hijack the limbic system in your brain to say, you know what, you're not like me. This place is not like the places I've experienced. This is not like the, the, the comfort zone that I'm allowed to have or I'm allowing myself to have, but I do know that God is good in it, okay? And I do know that I'm able to engage in that. So what we're gonna do is just quickly move through both of these today. And so Matthew 7 says this, about judgment. Jesus is teaching us, and he says this, do not judge others, and you will not be judged. All right, that's it for today. Let's pray. Jesus, I know, just, just kidding. It's simple. It says, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you to get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. In terms of imagery, real fast, this is what Jesus is teaching us. One, the speck in the eye is the way that you judge people with your words. 
the pearls to the pigs are the ways that you judge people with your action. The central sort of understanding about judgment, what, what's so like kind of a, a wrong to, to live your life judging people in places, is, is that you're announcing and enforcing your own verdict on somebody else. And you do that with both words and actions. You determine in your head that someone is the way they are, and then you determine your actions based off your own verdict. The, the pride that that is centered around is, is what is wrong with the world today. It's very prideful to live your life that way. And it's, there's also another thing, when you begin to build your judgments on somebody else, and you say, when you begin to verbalize them, they often begin with the phrases, you are or they are. And every married couple knows exactly what I'm talking about. Because when you get into fights with your, with your spouse, you begin, you, your brain wants to, con, like, con, like, control, like, wants to stay safe. And so eventually you're going to get so frustrated and say, you know what, you are just so... And whatever word comes out of you, determine whether you're a Christian or not. I'm just, I'm just kidding. But... But you are just so, you know, you know what, they are just so, like have you ever talked about an organization you were a part of once at one point? And you just said, they are just so, they just don't get it. Right, that's a judgment that you're releasing into the world. And then you enforce your own judgment and you enforce your own verdict by acting in a way that is a result of that. Have you ever been to a place, have you ever done this where, where you begin to feel something about someone based off never having a conversation with them, but just by putting pieces together in your own head? Everybody, right? Everybody's done that. Well, they won't do this, so I'm not going to do that. They won't, so I won't. And so the, the, the classic conversation is, well, did you talk to them? No, okay. That's a classic bias conversation. That's a judgment you are establishing and you're enforcing your own verdict upon that person. It's what makes relationships spin out of control. And so the, the central understanding about this is that so we can have a speck in our own eye and we think, uh, a speck in our brother's eye or sister's eye, and we have a log in our own. And so, so the understanding about this is so silly. I mean, Jesus is using this completely ridiculous statement. He's saying, he said, hey, yo, I'm going to worry about this. Have you ever gotten like a piece of dust in your eye? Like you want to die immediately, don't you? Like that's kind of like how it works. Like as soon as you get like a hair or like an eyelash, have you ever had an eyelash? And you're like, for the love, like just put me out of my misery, kill me now, Right. And, and what do you need? You need your like, husband, your wife, or a friend. Like, can you just look in my eye? I know this is awkward, extremely vulnerable, but I'm just going to like, can you do this? Right? And, and so Jesus is establishing that. And we're like, yeah, we can help. We can help. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> we got you. Come a little closer. I can look. You see how ridiculous this looks? <laughs> right? Like, this is what you paid me for. You look ridiculous on stage so you guys can get the picture. This, this looks ridiculous, doesn't it? And yet we think our judgments are actually helping people. I'm going to preach the rest of the sermon like this. Let's <laughs> see if you guys can actually, I actually don't think I could hold it for that long. But. but you see how ridiculous this looks? But this is kind of what it looks like when you judge people with your words. And I'll let you remember that for the rest of your lives, hopefully. <laughs> 
But that's the, the visual that Jesus is trying to say. Look, look, it looks just, it's just ridiculous. Because you have your own bias. You don't know anything about them. You don't know anything about what's going on. And you're not in a position to actually be able to judge them in any way because look at your own life. But then we enforce our own verdicts by, by throwing pearls to them. Sometimes this is when we control people with good things. Sometimes parents with kids do this. Hey, I don't want you to make that decision, so I don't want you to go to that college so far away, so I'm going to pay for your entire college if you go to this local one. I see that a lot with young adults. All you're doing is you're judging them with positive reinforcement. Um, when you throw pearls to, he, a lot of times we read this verse and we think, oh yeah, I shouldn't throw my good old holy pearls to those that are unho- unholy. Um, and it's actually a, a judgmental statement that you're making in a passage about judgment. Pearls to, so look at it a different way. I'm not gonna throw good things um, to separate, that, that can help, that separate those that aren't separated. Essentially what holy means. We're going to cast pearls. We do this with classes of people. We do this with people that we know. We do this with old churches. We do this with old companies that we have. Right? And we can watch the news and have that completely reinforce our judgment. Uh, We can watch our Facebook feeds because that's how they sell you exactly what they want to sell you. That's how they make money. Is they built off, that's why our culture is as polarized as it is currently. It's continuing to feed off our, our bias and our judgment, forcing us into our corners and it's only getting worse. The way of Jesus is to say, I'm gonna take the speck, I'm gonna take the, the log out of my own eye and I'm going to put Jesus in the center of it. Are we tracking so far? This is really bad news for people. Right? I just want to let you know that Jesus never talks to, to, to us as followers of Jesus. And he never talks to us as his disciples and ever gives us good news about worrying about this type of stuff. Look at what Matthew 23 talks about. It says this um, in that next slide. Jen, there. <laughs> what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees. He's talking to who? Christians, right? Today's Christians. He's talking to leaders of the, the, the religion at the time. He's calling them hypocrites. For you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. So that's a judgment, right? I'm making a standard and I am shutting it off to someone. I'm enforcing, I'm announcing my own verdict and enforcing it. You won't go in yourselves and you don't let others enter either. This is not good news. A judgmental lifestyle, a separating lifestyle, is just confirming of our own insecurities. And it keeps us from building healthy relationships. This is sometimes where churches get stuck. We feel like we have something that separates us from other people. And then we look at sin on the other side and we think, you dirty, rotten sinner. If, I, if you only had my life, then you wouldn't be so unholy. And we become separate from the very people. What did God not do? What did Jesus not do? He didn't stay separated very long, did he? Philippians 2 says he moves from his holy place in order to help take steps forward. Living a judgmental life 
is absolutely opposite of what Jesus taught us. And so he's given us this incredibly bad news, but he's gonna invite us to live a life that is merciful. He's gonna invite us to take off the weight of feeling like we have to play God. Who judges people, ultimately, right? God does. A lot of times people who are um, trying to boast in their sin will say, God only judges me. That's not good either. That's absolutely just your own judgment being displayed out for everyone to see. But in fact, God does hold the gavel. He does. And we trust his authority. We play God poorly. We step into that role. And that's never a role I want to be found in. We would hate to be found sitting in the boss's chair when the boss returns. Come on now, somebody. That's awkward. Like, why were you looking at my family's picture sitting at my desk? And so the invitation is going to be to share that off. But there's a better way. The better way is mercy. Mercy is absolutely this thing. And the reason why we don't play God well, though, here's the thing. Our sin distorts our vision. Our sin, our bias, our, like you are displaying only what is built in within you. Your story, your experiences have created your outlook on life. And someone else standing right next to you, we found this to be true not only in our marriages. Come on, like, isn't that true? Like, that's why we struggle for the first 10 years, 20, 50 years of our marriage. But not just if it's true in our marriage, how much more true it is for the person standing in front of you at Dunkin' Donuts, or how much, like, how, how, how true is it for the person that you're driving by the side of the road? How true is it for the person that's sitting in a seat here today that you've never met? Our sin distorts our vision. Our bias distorts our vision. Our experiences distort our vision. Our education distorts our vision. And so we have to know that to be true. And in our uh, experience of grace, we need to free that to Christ and say, you are the judge, not me. Not me. I will not judge a class of people any longer. I'm going to allow you to do that. I will not judge a family member any longer. I will let you do that. I am not God. See, see here's, here's what mercy says. This is what I love, this freeing. Let this heal you today. Let this free, let this become your new mantra. Healing says that person in place has the right to exist as they are. That person in that place has the right to exist as they are. And so for me, whenever I find senses of judgment rising up within me, I say, that person in place has the right to exist as they are. And I bless them. Now, I don't stand there with my hand like this in public because that's weird. But in my heart, that's what I'm doing. That person in place has the right to exist as they are. I turn it into me often. I have have the right to exist as I am. I don't have to judge myself. Mercy releases people. And when you release somebody, you're free to actually relate well with them. You're free to relate well with them. And so this is what James is going to teach us. How do we live a life of mercy? This is what it says in James Chapter 2, verse 5. It says, uh, listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? 
but you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal laws found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except for one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not commit murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So whatever you say, whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can't that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? See, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it, is produced, unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. So three quick things about mercy. Mercy, number one, is respectful. What he's saying, what James is teaching here, is that God has chosen the poor, and yet we dishonor them. So he's saying, mercy is deliberate. I choose to go, and it's also honoring. I don't dishonor them. I'm patient. I'm engaged. See, when you have a respectful heart, we're going to talk more about this after Easter. We have a series called All Due Respect that we're going to sit in on how to stay centered in a polarized culture. But when you have a respectful heart, you're going to deliberately serve and you're going to honor the people you're serving. Sometimes we serve them begrudgingly and dishonor them because we're just judging them while we do it. And so we have a respectful heart hard. And so um, Brendan Manning, uh, an author, has a great uh, quote when it talks about this. If you go to the next slide, it says, our hearts of stone become hearts of flesh when we learn where the outcast weeps. Um, You want to talk about refugees today. Let's do that. Um, Why don't you go hang out with a refugee and then develop an opinion about it? You want to talk about someone in the LGBT community. Let's go find a friend and hang out with them and talk to them about it. Let's, you want to talk about race today? Let's do it. Let's find people that we need to have a conversation with and have a conversation with. I've talked about this for three years now, that the number one reason why we hold judgments about certain classes and certain races and certain issues in today's social and climate is because you do not have a friend in that area. Why do senators and representatives switch their view on homosexuality immediately upon having a family member come out as gay? Because they know where the outcast weeps. What I'm trying to do is push on our judgment today. We hold judgments. How easy it is to tear barns down, but how hard it is to build one. We stand at our distance and we judge others, but Jesus did not do that. He did not boycott. He did not move away. He did not stay far. He moved towards. He wept with those who wept. He looked over the city and wept in sin and then moved towards them with mercy. And so the reflection question that you need to ask yourself today is this. What is their story? 
What is their story? There's a, uh, a boy in Channing's, uh, my son's class, he's in kindergarten, and uh, when we go into volunteer in the classroom and hang out with them and help them do math and then get reminded how mathematically challenged I am by myself, um, there's this little boy who just doesn't pay attention whatsoever. And man, people, we just, it's, it's frustrating, I'm not gonna lie, it's hard to teach five kids when you have one that just is completely distracting all of it. And so, uh, and so the question for me, my judgment could be that you're, you're a mess, dude. Like, shut up and do your work. Right? It's not that hard. Do four plus, minus two. And, um, and so when I was following up with the teacher afterwards, I was like, look, it's awkward for me. I'm not sure what I can enforce, what I can, whatever. He goes, you, know, you just don't know his story at home. You just don't know his story at home. Um, his story at home is really tough. And so for me, whenever I feel those judgments where I'm, I'm quick to announce and enforce my own verdict, my heart comes up and says, I wonder what their story is. I wonder what their story is. So this is what Romans 14 will teach us. It says, so why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, every tongue will declare allegiance, praise to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. He's basically saying, you know what? Everyone's got a story. Your sin might be pride. Their sin might be visible. Your sin might be heart level. Their sin might be surface level. It doesn't matter. We're all going to stand before God one day and give an account. James says, everything is going to be seen like that. How freeing and releasing would it be to give someone their freedom? So mercy is respecting. Mercy is also self-aware. It's self-aware. It's consistent and secure. So he continues in the story uh, out of this whole concept. He says, listen, we did, you know, hasn't God chosen the poor? He says, this is what he, I've chosen, yet you dishonor them. Um, then he continues and he says, if you don't act in this way, it's actually like you're committing adultery. It's the same thing. In the church world, we, we, that, we, that's a mess. That's hard. But yet we like to create the hierarchy within the Bible, don't we? Don't we like to do that? That's judgment. That's all that is. That's, that's religious judgmentalism, where we can stand at a distance, create the hierarchy, say, well, I'm not doing that, and that's bad. It's like, well, hey, I didn't, you know, I didn't murder anybody today. <laughs> I remember I was thinking that. I used to think like that when I was like seven or eight. I'm like, well, I, got, I can definitely guarantee I'm not going to do that one, right? And then I had kids, and I was like, nah, I guess not. I... Um, <laughs> That's going to be a tough one to uphold, right? Like, apparently I can murder somebody. I can, like, that's in my heart somewhere. And, uh, and he's saying, no, 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 no. Whether you murder, I mean, it's, it's the same thing. You're breaking the law of God. And, and, and Jesus actually wants to help you live that way of life. So don't judge others based off their sin when you have your own sin. Be consistent. Be consistent. Be secure. When you say they have a right to exist as they are, you're putting them in the hands of God, not in the hands of you. 
and you release them to that. I remember when I first got married, and, and, and there's this moment where uh, Connie and I were like talking about some stuff, and, and, uh, and I was like, well, at least I'm, you know, at least I'm this, or whatever. And I, it was just completely judgmental, right? Like, at least I'm here. And she was like, um, I didn't know the baseline for a good husband was presence. I didn't realize that, right? Like how, I didn't realize you staying married was the baseline. And how often we are, in, are, are inconsistent in our own lives because we like to judge others, but we give ourselves grace. We judge externally, but we give grace internally. And Jesus is saying, hey, could you just do me a favor? Can, the grace that you've experienced internally, can you share that externally? Just with everybody. There's grace for that. There's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Romans 5 frees us from this. We need to experience, Romans 8 says this, who will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. You know why many of us judge? Because our view of God is the one of the judge. And we sit here under his uh, wrath many times, and we think, you have condemned us, and so I am here to try to free this. I'm trying to free myself. And he says, no, who's going to condemn us? Nobody. You are free to give grace because the God who gives grace actually connects with you. You're free to release because the God of grace has released you. The most judgmental people in the world are those who see God as the judge, not as father. He sees a God as that you have to love me, but you don't like me. You have to be here, but you would not choose to be here with me if you were given the choice. And God says, no, no, I actually want to be with you. I want to free you so that you can free others. And so the question, the reflection question for you today is this, what is this scenario confronting in me? When you feel sense of judgment coming up on you and you're free to announce and enforce your own verdict, you have to ask yourself the question, what am I being confronted by right now? What part of my bias, what part of my uh, experiences, what part of my standards are being confronted? Turn it internal so that you can give grace on the external. God, what is this confronting in me? Um, There's a story in Luke 18 that does this, that shares this. This is what um, uh, you see this happening. It says, then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. Um, let me just be, be clear here. The tax collector was, was like, the, like a modern day uh, child offender. I mean, it's just how bad it was. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like the tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. Next slide. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home. This is a very centering verse for me, especially in Lent. Because I say, oh God, be merciful on me. 
let me express the same type of mercy on others. So mercy is respectful, mercy is self-aware, mercy is also holistic. In the same way that we can judge others in words and actions, James is teaching us that we should serve with both words and actions. And he's saying, without an active, displayed faith, your faith is dead. So unless you're able to express the grace without judgment, and you receive all the grace, it's just, it's gonna lead you to death. Holistic is words and actions. It's a marrying of your heart and your hands. It's consistent. It's able to say what I've experienced internally, I'm going to share externally. Joy, grace, peace, patience, kindness, love begins to express itself from me. And so the question for you today is this, what can I do to help restore in this moment? What can I do to help restore in this moment? When it comes to our friend in the kindergarten room, it's not about, hey, you know, shut up, do your work. It's about maybe for, for one moment, he's got someone that is just paying attention to him and cares about what he does. I don't know. I don't know what his story is. For you, there could be a coworker. For you, it could be a, a, you know, a fa- another family member. For you, it could be something else. The, the step of empathy always will lead to life. So what can I do to help restore in this moment? Look what Jesus does in John 4. He says this, Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him, saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and again and he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Neither do I. But Jesus, the law did say that. That was the law. To be enforced in that moment, the law was to stone this woman and kill her because she was caught in adultery. Jesus looks past what needs to be enforced for the person that needs to be cared for. Jesus looks past what needs to be enforced to the person who needs to be cared for. Mercy is respectful. Mercy is self-aware. Mercy is holistic. Mercy says that person, that group of people, that place has the right to exist as they are. And if I'm feeling like there's a gap, I need to not be like sinner, like a sinner and stay far away, but I need to pursue proximity like Jesus did. I'm gonna get a friend. I'm gonna serve. I'm gonna be close to. And Jesus in his humility, Jesus in his divinity, Jesus in his moment was able to actually help take someone take a step and restore them moving forward. Look past the law that needs to be enforced to the person that needs to be cared for, finds out their story. 
and says, let me move you towards the better way. See, I think many times Christians get a bad rap because we're not able to actually sit in the midst of that junk with them. I think about all these communities that are just trying to restore. And what we've done is collectively shut the door to say, hey, until you get your junk figured out, just leave your junk at the door and then you can come in. But Jesus displays this understanding that we can move towards people and tell them they are worth dying for. That person in that place, they have the right to exist as they are. What can I do to restore in this moment? What is their story? What is this, what is this confronting in me? And we can join the way of Jesus, releasing the weight of feeling like we need to judge the world and picking up the grace of trusting in him as the judge and being the one to express mercy.